Hello, listeners, and welcome back to a value-packed season of pros and content brought to you by Notch. I'm your host, Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen, and this first episode back after the new year, I'm chatting with Kevin Indig. Kevin's chops come from an SEO career built at companies you may have heard of, like Atlassian and Shopify, but he has since branched out on his own with the message of tying it all back to growth. In this episode, he shares why that's important, plus a few strategies to take back to your own programs. Really quick, before you forget, do me a favor and make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss a single episode with these leading B2B SaaS marketers who know how to prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. And now, here's your interview. Hello, and welcome back to Pros and Content. My name is Ellen Schwartz. I am your host, and I'm excited to be joined today by Kevin Indig. Kevin's former roles include Shopify, where you were head of SEO. Might not be the exact title, but that's what you were doing, that's my understanding. And now you're advising customers. You've got some private equity, venture capital, big enterprises like Snapchat, and you're advising them on growth. So hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ellen. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Absolutely. It's exciting to have you. I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. Invited you because you had some super great things to say about how you can connect SEO to growth. So I'm excited to dig into that. Real quick, wanted to plug that you've launched a new podcast as well, talking a lot about all of these things and how marketers can be successful in these changing times. You're launching that with Eli Schwartz, not to be confused with me, Ellen Schwartz. So anything you wanted to say really quickly about that podcast? Yeah, thanks for uh, allowing me to plug that. The podcast is called uh, Contrarian Marketing. And Eli and I, we take opposing views on topics that are currently hot, you know, topics to jour. And our goal is really to just help the listeners find ideas that they might not be thinking about. So it's a fun dynamic between Eli and I, and we try to like really cover all aspects of things that are currently going on and are impacting marketing. Love it. I'm excited to listen. And I just wanted to then, so preempting any of the listeners for this particular episode, we are going to dig into SEO, but Anyone who is tempted to skip this, trying to say that's like, well, that's not my role. That's not what I do. I have a great colleague who does this. I would encourage you to stand by. So even though SEO might not be exactly in your role, we're of the opinion that all of these pieces need to fit together. You really need to understand that it's all something that should be leading to growth. So even though it might not be exactly what you focus on, you might think that you want to skip it. I encourage you to stick around. So... With that, Kevin, I just wanted to set this stage. So similar to what I just said, you very much believe that SEO needs to be broken out of its silo. It needs to play nicely with the entire funnel. It should be really fueling organic growth. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So SEO is a funny marketing channel, right? It's it's obviously based on Google, right? It's unpaid search results. And it comes with a couple of challenges, right? The In essence, the main challenge is that as SEOs, we really just give recommendations, right? If you think about what we do, what our output is, it's really recommendations for other teams, typically for writers, content creators, engineers, designers, data scientists. And so there's an inherent function and skill you need to have as an SEO, which is to communicate and persuade other teams to do the things that you recommend them to do. If you just take a step back and think about what are some things that are not SEO, but that have an impact as SEO on SEO, the list is pretty long, right? You have stuff like word of mouth or advertising or referral traffic, media coverage, even how the site looks and feels and how the font size, right? There's a whole plethora on, of things that impact SEO. And the reason is that the behavior of users 
becoming more and more important in SEO. So we need to do a better job and make an SEO a team sport in persuading other teams and exciting other teams to follow recommendations. And that's the only way really to be successful in 2022 and of course, 2023. Yeah, looking ahead. So by the time this post airs, we'll be solidly into 2023 as people begin to plan their years. SEO needs to be a piece of that. And I think I like what you said too. It needs to be something that it is more connected to the other teams than you initially assume. I think anyone who's not as familiar with SEO assumes that you have to go back and rewrite three of your blogs so that they rank a little bit better. Sounds like you think it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on point. Of course, there might be some roles or some some people who work at small companies or have smaller clients who are much more hands-on and make the changes themselves. And then these SEOs step into the role of a writer or role of a designer or engineer. So these situations definitely exist. And that group of people is not very small. But even there, my argument would be that these people need to then develop certain skills in these roles and develop a certain proficiency. So that's another reason for stepping out of the SEO silo. It can be as a recommending function in a company when you collaborate with other teams. Or if you do it yourself, you still want to step out of the SEO silo by learning new skills in other marketing fields. So whatever your situation really is, you still need to kind of look beyond SEO and more so approach SEO as a layer that you put on top of other things. I like that specifically. I think that's a really good way to look at anybody's role within a marketing function is you can't do only SEO and expect to see big mega results at the end of it. You can't only do a solid email campaign. You can't only do this. You need it to all work together. It needs to be, like you said, that layered approach. One should really augment the other. Why does this matter? I think this functions super well into what you're going to be talking about on your podcast, but also what Notch is seeing in the market is that you've got to start tying, no matter where you are in marketing, your work to growth. Is this impacting the business? So marketers are going to start running into these situations where they're asked to do more with less. I think we've all come to dread that term, but it's true. Like right now we're being prompted by the economy, the ups and downs, but it might happen at any point in time. You might be at a startup where you're just really, really lean. It might be that your company is going to pivot. You might have new product mergers, acquisitions, you name it. It's important right now. It's absolutely important. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting time for companies and marketers. For the last almost 15 years, we've gone through one of the longest periods of prosperity, period. And that's changing now, right? We're, we're facing a recession. As you mentioned, companies need to, they move from an abundance mindset to a scarcity mindset and need to make some hard decisions about employees, about priorities, about budgets. And the way that SEO comes to play here is that it's kind of like an odd child in marketing. Traditional marketing is very advertising-based, very awareness-based, and ad- advertising still works really, really well. And, and SEO has the kind of you know unique capability or ability to be very low cost on high intent. So in essence, SEO does not have a direct cost. It's all indirect cost by employing people or by paying freelancers, right? It's all, it's all resourcing costs, but there's no programmatic cost similar to advertising where you pay for to run the ad as well or pay for the surface. That doesn't really exist in SEO. So it technically has zero marginal cost. Even if you scale SEO up, you only have fixed cost. The other side of the coin is that SEO has very high intent. And the reason is that when people search on Google or 
any other search engine for the matter, they already have a problem that they try to solve. There already is an intention to take some sort of action or to, to resolve some sort of an, of an issue. That puts SEO in a unique position. It's a very recession-friendly channel that often you know, is very popular during recessions, of course. And the challenge here is that in 2022 and moving forward, the awareness for SEO has changed completely. By now, it's a function that most large companies have employed at least one person for or work with an agency or a freelancer, right? So everybody knows what SEO is. Everybody wants to do SEO. And as a reason, there's more content being created than ever, leading to more competition. And Google is really a zero-sum game, right? You only have 10, I mean, it's not exactly 10 search results anymore in the first page, but let's say, you know, seven to eight in most cases. And that's a limited amount of surface with more competition, meaning that the bar for good content and performance is growing and it's growing quickly. But uh, SEO is still one of these kind of channels that get a lot of popularity during the recession. It's an interesting spot to play into because even though it might be like kind of you said, like there's not a huge budget, like a line item for how much you would spend on SEO. You've got the resources there. You have the competition. You have to be ranking up against other people. So how is it that like what happens, I guess, too, if like you can't go and tell someone to search for your things. So you have a bit of a limited audience and just like understanding who is going to be searching at all. So is there room for growth in that situation? That's a great point. The kind of to rephrase your point, right? SEO is a pull channel different than advertising, which is a push channel, right? So pull is in a sense that you can only harvest demand. You cannot create new demand with SEO. And that means, as you said, the market is inherently limited. So there's a, a certain piece or size of the pie that you share with other sites. And the best thing you can do or the only way to grow really is to just get a bigger size of the pie, a bigger piece of the pie, so to say. And so the one thing that companies really have to do in that in that sense is they have to locate themselves. They have to understand what their scale mechanisms or the levers are for growth, meaning what can they do more of to grow? And that varies by type of company. And then of course, they also have to understand their competitive advantages. Like some companies might be on the market for a long time and have collected a lot of trust with users. Other companies might just have a superior product. So SEO is a very is often regarded as like a very tactical discipline. It's all about hacks and tricks and, and you know very tactical things. But I would caution, especially larger companies, to take a step back and really think about the strategy and how they fit into the competitive landscape if they want to get more market share or a larger piece of the pie. Yeah, I think that's the key there. And I think that's always at the heart of any good strategy. Take a breath, take a step back and say, what's right for my exact company, my exact marketing team at this exact point in time. So at the very beginning of this conversation, you basically mentioned that SEO is high intent, that someone has been searching for the problem you solve possibly for a long time. And so I'm curious where that for you places SEO in the the acquisition journey of a customer. Does that put them really high funnel? I think someone in SEO understands that SEO is not as high funnel as someone who's not in SEO thinks it is. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I think generally we all agree that SEO is relatively high up the funnel and it can get relatively bottom of the funnel. So I think SEO can be present at all stages of the user journey. We often think of it as like a very top of the funnel type of channel, but I would want to paint a, a slightly different view. I think there's a second point of the customer journey or the user journey, better said, where SEO is also a very strong channel. And that is 
after the customers have converted or after the sale. Because oftentimes, you know, users have questions about the product or service that they bought, and they might look for these questions often in combination with brand keywords. So say you you just make something up, say you bought a book, right? And in a book, there's a concept. You read the book, you kind of understand the concept, but you have a couple of questions. So you might go to Google and search for these questions about that specific concept. Now, Google is very good in understanding that this concept relates to a certain book, especially if it's a unique concept, of course. In the same vein, if you search for a product or a brand, Google immediately knows, ah, okay, you search for that brand, this is the website. So we're going to prioritize results from that specific website. But what's often missed on SEO is to go out and see what are the brand keywords that users are looking for and do we really appear at the very top or is it maybe a different side? So this idea of optimizing content for or creating content for the, the post-purchase world and answering all user questions is one that is often forgotten. And it's almost a kind of like customer service you can provide or, or customer attention you can play into. And I think that leans itself too into the high intent. If you've got someone searching for your product plus a keyword, they do want to see your product. They're already somewhat bought into you as a company. So making sure that you're serving that high intention as much when you're creating the content. Absolutely. It's so critical. I'm not going to name the company, but I recently had a terrible customer experience. I'm still upset by it, <laughs> to be completely honest. And so I like to write. And so I wrote a letter. And I wrote an angry letter. Oh, no. That should have been, a, it's an email. And I looked for, you know, where can I complain at this company? And there was just no way for me. There was no, no surface to go to. And the first surface that Google showed was Better Business Bureau or Yelp reviews and stuff. So now I'm making this public at a point that the company has no influence over. I would have preferred to actually send share that with the company directly, but because they haven't created any like a landing page for customer complaints, now I'm bringing that to the public and I'm bringing it to a place where they cannot really, you know, they have no kind of control over the conversation and how it appears. So that's, that's maybe just one example of something that is often missed, but that has a huge impact on the company. Well, and I wonder too, if it's a bit of reverse psychology that that company is sitting there saying, well, we don't want to tell you where to complain to. We don't want, <laughs> we just, we only want to hear good news, but inadvertently only then you only have the public platforms instead of something that they could have solved behind the scenes. And then maybe even bragged about, right? It's like, Hey, we heard this great thing from a customer. We're working on it or we fixed it or whatever that might be. So that is, a, I think it's a really good point. And I think it's something that it's something that we see frequently with sentiment data, or like if you're trying to kind of mix all of these different metrics together, it's to me, it's a bit like you might lean into the wrong spot because you only have half of the metrics. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's so important, right? Especially because post-purchase, you have a, a window of opportunity where you can make customers for life or you can burn them for life, right? Depending on what their experience is. And SEO is traditionally very geared towards acquiring net new customers and bringing in new people. But there is an opportunity here that is often missed and disregarded. And that if disregarded, it becomes someone else's opportunity. Yeah, I think marketers frequently also find themselves focusing too intently on an immediate result instead of the long part of the journey. I think this this feeds into your anecdote to where someone probably made a decision that's like, no, we're not going to post that because I've I today have read one too many complaint emails and I'm over it just take it down versus what you explained your interaction with the brand now is much more long-term. Are you ever going to go back to that brand? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> 100% no. So, right. Like, so long-term you're gone instead of like just sitting and listening to you. So 
I'm just, I'm kind of curious. I think a lot of marketers find themselves in that spot, even with their SEO efforts, other efforts. It's like you're focused really intently on the quarterly results versus the long-term or the, even like that post, that one post did really well. This one ad is converting with a really good low cost per click, whatever that might be. How is it like, what would you do to get out of that cycle? Is there something that you can either fix, not fix, switch in your own perception? Are there any, is there any advice you have for taking that up the chain? Because I do also think sometimes we're focused on the the short term because we've got some mandates coming down from above. A hundred percent, hundred percent. What you're talking about is a core problem in SEO and a lot of other marketing channels. And so here are a couple of things that have worked for me when working at companies like Shopify, G2 and Atlassian in the past. So number one is you need to paint the piece of the pie. You need to paint a picture of the whole pie, right? You need to help executives and everybody else on the company understand how big the opportunity actually is that we're talking about here. And this is already one of the biggest mistakes that I see SEOs make is they they get lost in these tactical conversations and, and recommendations while completely forgetting to help people understand where does the road go? Where where is What's the destination here? What, what is the opportunity size that we've been talking about? Because I would argue that lots of executives are more than happy to invest in a huge opportunity, but they're often, they're not made aware of it and they often don't see it. So that's number one. Number two is, of course, you need to have a very strong strategy and a really good plan. And that involves priorities and making an assumption of what the impact of the things you're doing probably is. Now, the reality is that in SEO, where you have a very slow feedback loop, right, a long lead time until you see results, that it's a bit trickier because you make educated guesses. However, most executives don't look for a promise. They just want to know and they want to see that there is an underlying logic that is robust, that there are arguments that make sense, and that there's data that supports the arguments. So a lot of the challenges that we see, a lot of the the quarterly results-driven focus can be mitigated by showing people that there is a long-term plan, there is a big long-term opportunity, and how to how to go to town. And that's what I've seen works really well, even in large companies that move relatively slow. Yeah. And I think that it's good advice for anyone trying to convince anyone of anything to a certain extent. Talk, speak their language, understand what they are focused on. Can you ladder it up to their priorities? And I think most of the time, that's a that's a business metric. So if you're doing SEO, like I think, I don't know, well, well, let me ask you this, like how easy would you say it is to tie SEO to a pipeline? Like... Is it easy or not? I would say yes. Let me, let me be okay. a little contrarian here. My <laughs> my uh, point where some people might disagree with me is that I think it is relatively easy to tie SEO to pipeline and revenue. And I think it's absolutely critical. I would even argue that you should not start doing any SEO before you have a direct line to pipeline or before you have a way to measure results very closely to revenue. I think that is where your journey as an SEO with a client or a company begins or ends. If you can say, look, this is how our metrics tie to revenue and to pipeline, then you typically are in a good place. It will take a little bit of work, but that's some of the most important work that you can do. Yeah, I think it's something that is crucial at this exact moment too, is you have to be able to say, this is how my work ties to what the whole business cares about. I am contributing in this exact way. So we've talked a little bit about some of these challenges that a marketer or an SEO specific person might have, which is that you're focused pretty intently on the short term. You might be trying to budget or sorry, balance your high quality content versus what ranks. Google is getting better at understanding what people want. So you have to write for people, not for the algorithm. What is it that 
if someone sees that they're doing those things, kind of catches themselves out, what should they be doing instead? Yes. So like one kind of really important thing is to just understand kind of where your audience is coming from and what you want, what you want them to do next. And so I'm saying that, I mean, as marketers, we always want to think about our audience and, and who we're talking to, but especially in SEO, it's so critical to add a layer of understanding to your content that relates to what the next best step is that your audience would want to do. The reason I'm saying that is because I see that a lot of times we create some content, we get some traffic, and then we we kind of have this radical approach to adding calls to action everywhere and expecting users to sign up right on the spot wherever they are. But the reality is that users are on a journey that might not always be linear. You know, like a lot of times these journeys are messy. I mean, just look at the behavior outside of the SEO world or outside of the online world. You go to a store and all of a sudden you walk by a pair of shoes that you were, you know, you're like, oh, I've been thinking about these shoes for a long time. But you didn't just go straight to the store for these shoes. You might have been out there to buy something else. So customer journeys and buyer journeys are messy by nature. However, a lot of times we just try to, you know, to hold up signs of like buy now everywhere in the store. And I'm talking about, of course, the, the, the online experience right now. And what we want to do instead is we want to, we want to build conviction. We want to create an opinion about what this journey should look like ideally, and then serve a suitable next step. And what I mean by that is when people, for example, come to a blog article that is about how to do X, you might not want to immediately push them to sign up for your product. You might want to take them to maybe another article that makes sense or to offer them to sign up for a newsletter where they get more information or a webinar. So my point here is that there's a difference between soft and hard conversions. And as marketers, especially as SEOs, we're very inclined towards hard conversions everywhere. And I want to challenge people to think more about what good soft conversions could be to make sure that our audience has all the information they need and they had some time to build trust with our brand. Yeah. So can you explain really quickly, I haven't heard the term soft conversion, even though I think I know what it means, but kind of just what does that look like? I wonder, I'll say what I wonder after you answer. Sure, sure. So generally, a hard conversion would be a hard sell, right? Like, do this now, sign up now, pay for the product, fill out a contact form. And a soft conversion is a smaller commitment that does not take a lot of cost from or a lot of high price from the customer. And that could be something like, like click through to this other blog article or sign up for a newsletter that is free and you know we send it out maybe once a month or something or sign up for this webinar, which is free. So it's low friction ways to keep customers tied to your brand and to your experience and nurture them over time. And then you might be able to nurture them to a point at which they're ready to convert. And that's when you can give them a hard call to action or tell them, okay, now we'd like you to sign up for something. But I think, you know, marketers or modern marketers like to jump the gun very quickly and think about direct response everywhere and direct call to actions. While there might be a way to just make smaller commitments with your audience and nurture them over time. Yes. So, okay. Glad that that's exactly what I was thinking it was. So I am glad that that lines up. And I want to just add that I think that last bit that you said, we've been trying to get people to just buy, buy, buy off of our content is because that's what we've been able to measure. We've been able to see the source and we've been able to see like that referral page to a demo. So you're, it's like a proxy metric to try to prove what's actually working. And what we need to start doing is looking at that entire journey. Like there's going to be content that's working for you that is lending what you just said. So it's like, are you engaging your audience across this journey versus just looking at them as a price point? 
But understanding what those, we call them high value actions at Notch. It's like, there's something to hear in the middle that's saying, I'm interested. It's not this like straight up teacher's pet raising your hand and waving it in your face, but it's something that says this was valuable. And this is, I want to come back. I want some more of this. I'm ready to kind of keep going down this journey with you. So at Notch, we're able to see that entire pathway. It's helpful for us to be able to say like, let's identify, like for me, it's these podcasts. So we've got like a high value action set set up in our journeys. I can see if a podcast winds up anywhere before someone converts. So it's helpful for me kind of knowing that this podcast is not going to encourage anyone to just suddenly take up and buy an entire contract with Notch, but I've influenced it. I've garnered some trust. I've garnered some sort of engagement with our audience. So that's, I like that a lot. I think, do you feel like that's what I just said is even accurate? It's very accurate. No, 100%. I think this goes back to a core problem of our time as marketers. And, you know, I just want to say, like, I come from the Silicon Valley school of marketing, which we often call growth. And it's a very measured approach. It's very, very data-driven, very, very much of the mindset of, like, everything must be measured or it can't be managed. And while I agree with that, also in a time where a lot of that measuring is going away, right? Like, look at what happened with companies like, like Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat after Apple released its Apple tracking transparency. So there is a cliff where we're going to lose a lot of data that might have already happened to be super measured and marketing driven. And so, or sorry, numbers driven. And so what we have to do is we're moving more towards a, a version where we might not be able to measure direct responses simply because the infrastructure is breaking away, but we still have an opportunity to ask customers after they sign up or leads or after they bought, hey, how did you find us? You know, what made you buy from us? What's going on? So there is a shift from metrics that we can measure in real time to lagging metrics that come from conversations with our customers and have a taste of like old school marketing, right? With market research and these things that we did maybe, you know, before Google, Facebook, et cetera. That's a big, big challenge right now. And that's, it goes back to what she said before, Ellen, where, you know, like attribution is, it's a very juicy drug where it's, it's very exciting to be able to see, you know, the same day, oh, wow, we just spent $50. We got $1,000 back. That's amazing. And the reality is also that this is going away a little bit, or it's becoming a bit blurrier. And we have to think about ways to still understand if what we do works. Yes, I think we're seeing that show up in the data in hearing how Facebook and Instagram ads aren't converting at the same rates. They're getting more expensive depending on who you are. What you said also reminds me of, so two quotes from previous podcast guests. The first one's Kim Roman and she's talking, she's in demand gen. She's talking about how it's just a much more savvy customer now. So we've, as consumers, we're used to knowing about all the data behind the scenes And we're kind of tired of it. We're basically saying, yeah, we know you have the data. Now, how are you talking to me? Not just to me as a a cohort of people. So I think that gets even harder in B2B because not only are we used to having the data behind, we're also used to just getting mountains of prospecting emails from the whole world. It feels like sometimes I actually... Just this morning was cleaning out my LinkedIn inbox of all the people who maybe just were going to pitch to me. Not that I'm saying that's exactly and the only thing that happens, but it's kind of this, it's a bit of a paradox to where the data has been getting better at the same time as the customer has been getting savvier. So it's kind of hard to incorporate both of those things as a marketer. 100%. 100%. Customers are not stupid. They understand where they're being sold to. The internet is interesting because there was a whole bunch of tactics that have a very short shelf life and new tactics might pop up, 
But customers and, and target audiences develop immunity against these tar- tactics relatively quickly. And so the more aggressive you are about these tactics, the more careful you have to be. And so now, like something that I've been noticing over the last 12, 24 months is that relatively passive marketing tactics, relatively passive marketing tactics can have a big impact and they're just harder to measure. Like the podcast we're recording right now, as you mentioned, Ellen, or like working with influencers in a, in a less salesy way. These are all things that customers notice and that tend to work fairly well, but that are also harder to measure at the same time. Yes. And I saw an interesting stat about TikTok advertising to where it was that, and I think it's specific to Gen Z, basically saying that, yes, they do want you to use influencers, but they are not going to buy off of the influencer. So as an influencer or as a company considering using an influencer, you've got to take that jump knowing that there won't be a one-to-one like attribution rate or kind of whatever you want to call that, I guess. Like you kind of have to use the influencer knowing that the stats aren't going to come from that influencer. So how like even the referral link is then going to show up because basically someone's going to watch TikTok, not click the link and then come back possibly in your SEO data just to bring it full circle. And this also just all relates then to, so the second quote that this is this conversation is reminding me of is we talked to Chris Kohler. He's the CMO at Box. And he's talking about how with his team over the last three years, they've just noticed in the, in the metrics that they need a shakeup. And so they are being proactive about how do we look at what's been working and do the next thing. And the inverse of that is there are going to be teams that are reactive. They're going to wait until the market shakes them up to make a change. So how can you be, I think, you know, you are going to fall into one of those two buckets. It could be that what you're doing now is working just fine. You can wait and you can be reactive, but I think it's going to be, it's something that you can control a little bit more if you're constantly looking back to say, what's working? What's driving revenue? Is there some budget here for us to go explore the newest thing to get us in to new markets or to in front of the right audience? So it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it is a wild ride. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think part of this is also thinking about how you get attention. And then once you have the attention, what do you do with that? And I would say SEO falls kind of in the ladder, like what to do with the attention. And I see a lot of missing creativity, to be honest, right? Like I think a lot of times no people one. think that, you know, as, as soon as visitors or people come to the website, they're automatically going to be interested or whatever. But it's the same thing as within, think about like over the top advertising, right? Ads on Hulu, for example, just because you get attention, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that customers will automatically convert. There's a journey. There are multiple touch points with brands and the best brands understand how to harvest that attention, but then keep customers tied to their brand and help them move faster along the journey of you know awareness or attention to conversion. But as I mentioned before, these journeys are messy and SEO can be one way to just be present across all of these different touch points of the journey. But as marketers, we shouldn't expect for people to come to the door and immediately buy a thousand dollar handbag or whatever. They, they need time. They need time to evaluate, to compare, to think about it. And SEO is a channel to help people out when they're ready. Yeah, I think in the digital world, what a good campaign does is consider if it's hugely successful, what are you going to do next with that audience? So we have a really great blog post at Notch. It's just, I think it's called what to do when your KPIs don't match. But within that is uh, this idea of the next best audience action and then the next best action. So next, and it's, I'm trying to keep them separate because I know those are like basically the same thing. And that's kind of the point. So the next best action is what would behoove your company 
So like, you know, you want to get them kind of like you were talking about. It's It looks like spaghetti, but you want to at least try to guide them on the, the right strand of spaghetti through that plate. And then there's the next best audience action, which is what will actually, what the audience will actually do. So ideally, those would be the same, but you need to understand what that journey looks like. But I think to your point, you need to have that journey like kind of what is your ideal journey mapped out? So if you know that you need to nurture a customer from their when they first land off of an SEO post, it's to say, here's this one and then this one, like we think we're going to recommend this content to you. We're going to make sure you get an email subscription, whatever that might be. How do you think that the customer behavior plays into that? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. The customer behavior depends a lot on the topic and the type of business we're talking about. So in e-commerce or in online retail, the behavior is often relatively straightforward. You know, when customers, they look at a product, they look at, they maybe compare price, they evaluate the feature set of the product, and then they take an action. And that's one of the reasons for why SEO and e-commerce is actually very big, right? It's because it's such a straightforward set of actions that users take. In other verticals, it's much more complicated, say in enterprise software, or even sometimes in software as a service. So user behavior matters as in so far that there's a user behavior on the site, but then there's also user behavior in the search results. And one very strong signal you can send to Google is when people search your brand in combination with a generic term. At Shopify, for example, a very kind of common search on Google was Shopify business name generator. So our customers strongly connected the brand of Shopify with the term business name generator because we have a very good product for free. And that was an incredibly strong signal for Google, which makes a lot of sense, right? Like if Google can see, oh, people are searching for a brand in combination with a product, then that must mean that the product you know, has a certain quality. It is difficult as a company to drive those brand combination searches. There are companies in the past that have tried even TV ads where they said, oh, search for us on Google, type in, you know, blah, 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 and these other terms. But this is much more a lagging indicator that is the result of lots of other things, like a good product experience, good content experience, and then strong brand awareness. Very cool. I like that. Again, I I don't necessarily have a strong background in SEO, but I see how that all would show the culmination of your efforts previously. If you've worked really hard on your brand identity with that certain, let's say, feature, that means it's like, okay, I guess it's a way of even loosely tracking brand affinity to say, or like brand recall to say that, I might be looking for this particular solution, e-commerce, for example. So if you started to see Shopify e-commerce pulling up, you know that you've at least achieved something with your your content and your brand. Super cool. Yeah, 100%. And this is, this is how we tie it back to something that we talked about in the beginning, right? That SEO does not live in a silo. It's impacted by lots of things that happen in the company. And, and that's why it's so important for SEOs to, to be loud and to make people aware of that, even if you can't perfectly measure it. Kevin, you're basically doing my job for me. And I appreciate that 100%. <laughs> it's a team sport. It's a team sport. I do think that we've talked about that exact thing. So SEO can't live alone anymore. It has to all be tied to growth. And it can be, I think, is what we've established here. There are ways that you can think smartly about these SEO tactics and how to measure it and how to prove that it's working. So thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time here. Anything you wanted to say right as we sign off? I do like to ask just one would be like, what would you hope listeners take away from this conversation? 
the TLDR. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. This has been a great conversation, a lot of fun. I would say the TLDR is be loud as an SEO in a company about how you depend, how the success of SEO really depends on other teams. Get them excited, show them results, help them understand how SEO works and how they can contribute. And that's probably the most impactful thing maybe even more impactful than a specific SEO tactic itself. I love that. Thank you very, very much again for joining us. Don't forget, listeners, Kevin also has his brand new podcast out with Eli Schwartz. Not to be confused with me, your wonderful host, Ellen Schwartz. I appreciate anybody who's taken the time to listen and hope you will follow Kevin on LinkedIn and we'll help you listen to the next episode too. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much, Ellen. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content brought to you by Notch. We hope you subscribe to hear more interviews with leading marketers and SaaS B2B companies. We're focused this season on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. You can learn more about how Notch helps you uncover your organization's true audience journey, including what drives conversions at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.